Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm, I'm excited to be with you this morning, and, uh, and I'm glad you're here. Whether, whether you've been here much, much longer than I have, uh, or this is your first Sunday, uh, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I, I feel like we're, we're at that time of year where, you know, when you're, you're on a roller coaster and you go up, 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 and you're right at that crest where it's like there's, there's no going back and, and you're about to look down and depending on the uh, composition of your stomach, uh, you may be feeling a variety of emotions. We're like right at that point of the year. Things are about to just speed up like crazy. Uh, we're, we're entering that season of what um, some traditions refer to as Advent, uh, or as I describe to my kids, this time of beginning to prepare to celebrate Jesus' birthday, which is what Christmas is. Uh, and, and I'm grateful to begin that celebration with you this morning. I, I want to begin this morning as we, as we kick off a new series by inviting you to just a just a light, simple exercise. Would, would everyone just take a moment and turn to the person next to you uh, and just tell them how much money you make? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> no, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, <laughs> you didn't even take me seriously. You, like, you knew. He, he doesn't want me to do that. Uh, you know, talking about money can be difficult and, and can be an awkward thing, can't it? Talking about money in the church, even more so. In part, I, I, think, I think especially in the church, when, when we think about money, when we talk about money, there are some unfortunate associations that often come along with that. I mean, depending on the particular news cycle, uh, it probably doesn't, take a whole lot of memory to think back to uh, the most recent financial scandal between a, a pastor and his church or something along those lines. I know, I know for many, when they, think of, when they think of church or religion and money, uh, it really just a few clicks away on your remote control, you can easily find some slick speaking preacher on TV making outrageous claims like, if you give to my church, God will heal you, right? Horrible theology, uh, clearly predatorial in many ways. Uh, and, and oftentimes, part of why it's so difficult, especially in the church, to talk about money is because these are the things that come to mind when the topic comes up. And therefore, it's, it's easy to just not talk about it. And yet, if, if we don't talk about money, especially in the church, at best, it's artificial. It's, it's fabricated. Be, because it's interesting, money is a major theme throughout the Bible. And not only that, but it's, it's often stated that, that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Now, I've never personally done the research to confirm that, but it really doesn't take too much reading 
in the New Testament, in particular the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to realize that money was really important to Jesus. It was incredibly important. And I think, I think one of the reasons why Jesus talked about money so much is the exact same reason why it can be awkward and difficult for us to talk about money. And this is the reason why money exercises power over the human heart. Like very few things does in life, money has this capacity to grip us, to hold us, to reign and rule over our lives to such an extent that it it ends up quenching the very life that God wants us to live. Jesus Jesus put it this way in his famous Sermon on the Mount. He said, uh, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This morning, we're, we're beginning a new series that will take us through most of the month of December called Generous God, Generous People. And, and this actually really isn't a series about money. Money will come up here and there, but at the core of it, this is a series about generosity. And, and at the center, see, at the center of the Christian faith is this big idea that God so loved the world that he gave. At the center of the Christian faith is this announcement. It's this idea, it's this story of the God of heaven and earth who so loved his creation that he gave the thing that was most precious to him, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would surrender their lives to him would not die, but would have eternal life, would be given an an eternal quality of life that would last forever. This is at the heart of the Christian faith, is this God who's radically, radically generous. And this month, we're going to be exploring the relationship between this vision of a radically generous God and, and what that therefore means for those who are made in his image, people. Our text for this morning to begin this series comes from uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a bunch of Christians in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And we're going to look at chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. And, and what I'd like to do is read the text, pray, and then give a little bit of context. All right, so this, this is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. This is God's word for God's world. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. 
and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. God's word for God's world. Would you pray with me? Father, we pause now and we ask that that you would give us a vision of generosity that is a direct reflection of your very heart. That as we explore the scriptures this morning, that you would open our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that you would melt our hearts as we look to you, as we hear from you, as we seek an encounter with you this morning that, that would change us. Uh, we, we love you, Father, because you first loved us, and we pray in your Son's name and by your Spirit. Amen. So, so what I just read from was an excerpt from a letter written a really long time ago, as I mentioned, by the Apostle Paul. And it's always difficult when you just jump into a book in, in the Bible and just start talking about it, because every text has a context. And, and so here in this passage, Paul is writing to this group of Christians and addressing a number of issues, but one of the things that Paul is doing is fundraising. And you won't find that word in here, but, but see, what was happening is in, in the mother church, the, the big base church in Jerusalem at this time, there was a famine. A huge famine. And so there were a lot of people starving, including people in the church. And Paul was going around leading a, what we today would call a famine relief campaign. He was raising money, collecting money, so that he could then come and bring it to the church in Jerusalem so that hungry people could have food. This was a deep, heavy burden on Paul's heart, providing for the poor. And so he's writing to these Christians, these Jesus followers in Corinth, and, and he's making his ask. He's making his appeal for this famine relief campaign. And, and what we see in this text, what we see is this, this vision for generosity. And I, and I want this to, in some ways, lay the foundation for this series this month. Because as we are listening to Paul, as he's fundraising, 
there are a few things that stick out, a few things we should take notice of when it comes to his vision for how generosity should function in our lives. And, and the first thing I notice is this, that for Paul, generosity, did you notice, it should be voluntary, not compulsory. Right? When, when we are generous, it should come from a place of freedom, not coercion. Listen to what Paul says. He, in the beginning of this text, he begins by, by referring to other Christians, other churches who live in a place called Macedonia, who have also contributed to the campaign. And he's lifting them up as a positive example, these churches in Macedonia. And he says this, he says, they gave as much as they were able entirely on their own. Verses three through four. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And then in verse 8, Paul just explicitly says, he says, listen, I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm not commanding you to give. It was, it was as if Paul's really concerned about making sure these people know that he's not playing the authority card here. And it's interesting, because if anyone could do this to these people, it was Paul. Paul very easily could have said, listen, you guys, um, I'm, I'm your spiritual leader, and you have to do this, okay? And, and the reality is, if he had said this, if he had played the authority card, they would have given. The end result would have been the same. They would have submitted, they would have given, and yet for Paul, it was really important not to do this, so much so that he points it out. He says, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not commanding you to do this. See, what is going on here? Why is it that Paul does not engage in this, this tactic of coercion, of forcing these people to give? Keep that question in your mind, because we're going to come back to it. But, but as Paul continues, what, what we also find is, is not just that this vision of generosity involves giving from, from a place of, of freedom, of giving voluntarily as opposed to compulsorily, but also what we find is that generosity should be joyful, not guilt-driven. Listen to what else Paul says in verse 2. He says, in, in the midst of a very severe trial, once again, he's talking about these other Christians, this example of generosity. He says, in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and, the, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And then in verse 8, he says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. See, Paul, what Paul wants to draw out of these Jesus followers is joy, is love. This is the place from which Paul wants these people whom he's been entrusted to, to give. He could have very easily gone a different path. He could have very easily intentionally plucked on the, those guilt-driven cords of the hearts of the people to whom he was writing. Right? It's, it's not hard to do. Uh, you ever seen those commercials? Those commercials of 
Uh, I think it's some sort of nonprofit organization that, that is, tries to save dogs. And you know, you know those commercials, and it's like, you know immediately when it comes on, and I'm a, I'm a dog person, so these, like, these get me. But it comes on, and it's like black and white, the screen is. And then this foreboding music comes on, and they show image after image after image of these dogs that are sickly and dying, and, and, and they're trying to raise money to save dogs. And by the end of it, I feel like a terrible human being. <laughs> Because by the end of it, because of what they've done, I think, oh my goodness, I'm personally responsible for the death of so many dogs, right? They just know, they've perfected the art of making me feel guilty for just sitting there, right? This is not at all what Paul does. Paul intentionally wants to pull out love, joy, not guilt, and again, I want to ask the question, why? Why is it for Paul, when it comes to generosity, why is it so important that generosity be voluntary, not, not compulsory, joyful, not guilt-driven? And it, it, if we're listening carefully, I think the answer is this, that for Paul it's clear that generosity is not simply a matter of money, but of motive. It's not simply about hard finances, but about heart formation. In other words, God isn't just interested in what we do, but in who it is we are becoming. See, God wants your heart. Because he knows that whatever it is that has your heart will then be able to pull the strings for everything else in your life. Whether or not you have money, if money has you, and you've in some way believed the lie that money, if, if it can't buy happiness, it can, it can in some way fill some of those voids that we all have, in our lives, if we, if we buy into this lie, then we will never have enough. We will never have enough because those voids will never ultimately be filled. And yet, if money doesn't have you, if, if you're not dominated by this perspective of protectionism that we must hold on to what we have, well then, that looks very, very differently. It's a very different relationship with money that we have then. And, and when, when we see this, when we see people who demonstrate this sort of just free relationship with money, this, this voluntary, joyful generosity, it's compelling. When we see it happen, then we know, we're like, there's something about that that moves me. Uh, several years ago, I, I was... Uh, leading a community group, and we met every week uh, and often shared a meal together, prayed, and there was a, an older couple uh, who had just started coming. And, and the husband, he's probably in his late 60s, uh, and uh, he's the kind of guy who you meet him and, and you think, oh, okay, this guy's a hard worker, <laughs> like blue-collar blue to the T, 
Harley-Davidson jacket. He owned his own landscaping business and, and worked really, really hard. Just a little small business, uh, but, but you could see on his face that he was this hard worker. An incredibly sweet guy. But you wouldn't really know that, though, until you actually started to get to know him. But this, so this couple, they, they start attending our community group. And, and one day, uh, they show up, and we're meeting, and his name, his name was Keith. And like I did with everyone who came, I said, hey, Keith, how, how was your day? And he said, uh, you know, okay. And you know when people say, oh, okay. You know, there's lying through their teeth. This was one of those moments. So I pressed him a little, and I said, well, like, really, Keith, how are you doing today? And he said, well, Michael, I, I had $800 worth of landscaping equipment stolen from my truck today. And, and he went on to tell the story of how while he was working in someone's backyard earlier that day, some people had come and had cut some locks and stole $800 worth of landscaping equipment from the back of his truck. Like, he, he, had, he had had better days, right? And he was just really low. And so, of course, I asked him for permission to share with the group, and we, we prayed for him, and later that evening, he and his wife, they, they had to leave early. And so they left. And after they left, uh, the rest of us were just sitting there and kind of just lamenting this fact. And then someone, and I forget who, but someone said, hey, what if, what if we pulled some money together? Like, what if, what if we, we aren't going to raise the whole 800, but what if, we just, what if we just put something together just to help them recoup the loss? And then someone else said, hey, I'd, I'd pitch in some money for that. And someone else said, hey, I would too. Right? And, and soon enough, it was like this, this momentum was beginning to catch on and, and beginning to move. And within three days, because there were several people who were not present there, and so I made a couple phone calls afterward, but within three days, we raised $800 just within our little community group there. And, and it wasn't because I stood up there and I said, hey, listen, Christians, you need to give to this guy, all right? God's going to be very mad at you if you don't, right? There, there was nothing compulsory. There was nothing guilt-driven about this. It was a bunch of people who loved Jesus and loved this guy and sat around, and they, from the joy within their own hearts, from their love for this man and his wife, they were generous and just welled up out of them. Like this, this is a vision of generosity. This is the vision of generosity that Paul has in mind. Generosity should be voluntary, not coerced. It should be joyful, right? not guilt-driven. Because ultimately what God wants is our hearts. But there's one more thing. There's one more thing in this text that, that we have to take notice of, and it's this, that, that for Paul, generosity should not only be voluntary, not compulsory, not only joyful, not guilt-driven, but also generosity should be a signpost. 
not a mirror. It should be a signpost, not a mirror. You know the difference between a signpost and a mirror, right? If I do, because I'm, I'm new to this area, and so I, I depend upon signposts. A signpost is something that when you look at it, it points towards something beyond, something else. A mirror is something that when you look at it, you see yourself. And Paul, when he's talking about generosity, he, he can't not talk about Jesus. He just can't. In verse 9, he says this. He's, again, urging these Jesus followers to be generous. And so he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? You've, you've experienced God's generosity. That though he, that is Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, when we are generous, it's not about us. Our generosity is not supposed to be a mirror that when we look at it, we see how great we are. It's to be a signpost. It's to be something that, that points beyond ourselves, that points to something so much bigger, that points to a story that's so much more beautiful, that points ultimately to a God who, when we look at him in Christ, we see one who had access to the endless riches of heaven. And yet, because of his radical love for us, gave it all up, entered our world, and became poor to the point of death, so that anyone, anyone who would look to him, who would be willing to receive such lavish generosity, so that we might become rich. Rich in our relationship with God, rich in our relationships with one another, rich in our, this driving sense of, of purpose in this world, of belonging to something that's so much bigger, so much more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. Right? Our generosity is a signpost pointing towards something else. So, so we, we collected this $800 for, for this guy in our community group. And the question was, how do we give it to him? And I, I wanted to give it to him during our next community group meeting. But, but knowing Keith, I knew that, that that probably wouldn't go super well. He, he's not one to, he doesn't like receiving a lot of attention. He would have been embarrassed. And so, uh, so then my wife and I, what we ended up doing is we just got this envelope full of cash. And one night, that next week, we went over to their house and knocked on the door, and Keith and his wife, Gail, answered. Oh, you know, Pastor, what, what are you doing here? I was like, hey, do you, have, do you have a few minutes to talk? And so we sat down, and I, and I just explained to him. I said, you know, Keith, after you guys left last week, uh, there were several people in our group who, who just felt burdened. See, we, we love you guys. And, and so, so several of us in the group have pulled together, pulled together this money, and we want, we want to just help you recoup the loss that you endured last week. And of course, what was his gut reaction? Like, I, no, no, no. It's like, no, 
I, he's like, that is so sweet. I, I can't, I can't accept that, right? We are terrible at receiving generosity, aren't we? <laughs> he's like, no, I, I, I cannot accept that. And so, so I was like, whoa, whoa hold, hold on. Hold on, Keith. This actually isn't about you. This actually isn't about you, and it's, it's actually not about us. See, Keith, you, you have to receive this because this is about something so much bigger. By you receiving this gift, you're actually enabling us as a community to, to point toward the radical generosity of God. This is a picture of something much bigger and much more beautiful than just what's happening right here, right? We, we had been talking about the gospel in our community group and how the gospel should inform all of life and how every aspect of our lives should be in some way a reflection of the generosity of God, which we see in Jesus. And so I was like, Keith, I mean, how do you say no to that? I was like, Keith, you guys, you, you, got, you got to receive it, right? This is a part of the deal because when we do this, when we give and when we receive, we're pointing toward the God who loves us so much and has given us so much in Christ. See, generosity is not intended to be a mirror. It's intended to be a signpost, something that points towards something so much more beautiful and so much bigger than ourselves. I want to end this morning with a question, and this, I hope, is a question that that we're able to sit with this whole month. And it's simply this. When it comes to generosity, what are the barriers, for you personally, in your own heart, what are the barriers that keep you from giving joyfully and freely? What are the barriers that keep you from giving freely and joyfully? And as, as we take a moment to pray here, I want to invite you, if, if there are certain things that come to mind, to just pray about them, to just talk to God about them. And, and my hope and my prayer for this month as we continue through this new series is that we would be so gripped by a vision of God's generosity that we would begin to explore in new and fresh ways what that means for us. Would you pray with me? Father, it is especially in the midst of a season such as this, this season of, of Advent, this season of preparation and anticipation for the time when we celebrate your radical generosity. That we, we are given an opportunity to pause and reflect and to both explore how we ourselves have, have or maybe haven't yet been, been recipients of your generosity. And also, Father, to explore what that means for us and what the barriers are in, in our own hearts as we seek to be generous with our neighbors, as we seek to be generous with our coworkers, as we seek to be generous in every sphere of life in which we find ourselves. Father, please remove any barriers that would keep us from experiencing joy, that would keep us from, from acting freely, 
as we bear your image. Father, thank you that you've given us everything in your son, Jesus. Help us to follow him faithfully. Uh, we, we love you too, Father. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit. Amen.